We turn now to our text for today, which comes from Matthew 8, verses 1 to 17, and we'll be focusing on verse 17. Here we see the answer, God's answer to the prayer we just sang. When he, Matthew 8, the word of the Lord. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus he heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed." And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And that's our text for today, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Beloved in the Lord, what changed through the work of Jesus Christ? A lot of the disagreements that stand between Christians stem back to disagreements over this question. Disagreements over sacraments, worship, ethics, and the role of the Spirit all stem from misunderstanding what Christ's work accomplished on the cross. We can either go back to slavery under the law and lose the freedom of the Spirit. And here we can think of of the Galatian church. Or we can overstate what Christ changed. Here we can think of the Corinthian church and lose the good order that Christ has called us to in the body of Christ. At Ambassador right now, I'm working through a series addressing this Question, what changed in Jesus Christ? 
according to the book of Hebrews, it was ultimately the administration of the covenant that changed. Jesus replaced Moses. Jesus replaced the priesthood of Aaron. That means that any change that we argue for in the new covenant must be rooted in what was accomplished in the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. Since the new covenant is a covenant in the blood of Christ, this should be no surprise. I want to begin with what was most obvious in Christ's ministry, his ability to reverse the effects of death, which is ultimately demonstrated in his own death and resurrection. We see that in our text for today. And this afternoon, we will see how that applies, how that work of Christ changed the way we relate to one another in Acts 10, where God appears in a dream to Peter, telling him he has made all things clean. Now, these changes, we can only paint them in broad strokes. In some sense, Christ changed everything. As Colossians 1 says, all things are held together in him. If this is true, then the fact that the Son of God took on human flesh, died and rose again, affects all the things that are held together by the one who accomplished those works. 2,000 years of Christian history are far from sufficient to uncover the full meaning of the death and resurrection of Christ. We begin to see some of those changes today, particularly how the work of Jesus Christ changed our relationship to death. He did that by bearing our weaknesses and diseases, not just in his life, but on the cross. Today we see that through Jesus Christ, God reverses the effects of death. And first we'll see the creep of death. Second, we'll see the moment of reversal. And finally, we will see that the sting of death is gone. Now, in some sense, the reversal of the effects of death already began following the exodus of Israel. God established his holiness, a place of holiness in the midst of Israel. And to do this, he began a war on death. And this meant that whatever was unclean, whatever symbolized the curse of death, was not allowed into the temple of God. And we read about this in Numbers 19. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean for so long. To end the state of uncleanness, you had to wash yourself on the third and the seventh day. This was because you were bearing the curse of God on your body until you had symbolically washed it off. This is how we're to understand a lot of the legislation around cleanliness in the Old Testament. And if we want to understand what Christ is doing in our passage, and Paul's explanation of Christ's work in his epistles, we need to understand the background of the cleanliness legislation of the Old Testament. In our passage today, Christ is dealing with the effects of death. The passage begins with the healing 
of a leper, a person who was continually unclean before the Lord, a person who could not participate in the religious life of Israel because his flesh was exposed. He did not have the covering of the skin on certain spots of his body. Christ follows this healing by healing a paralytic, another person that's in a death-like state. Finally, he heals Peter's bed-bound mother again. Matthew finishes this section by telling us about all the miracles Christ is doing doing and pointing to the diseases that Christ is healing. Now, if we walk through Leviticus 11 to 15, we see all the ways in which death affected the people of the Old Testament. One of the primary methods of becoming unclean was through touching unclean animals. The most helpful way to understand why these animals were unclean is because they were symbolically contaminated by death. And so they contaminated those who handled them or ate them. In Leviticus 12, we see uncleanness connected with childbirth. Childbirth passed on the curse of death to the next generation. This is how David knew that he was born in sin. Leviticus 13 and 14 deal with leprosy. We don't really know what this leprosy was. It's not what we call leprosy today. The only lepers we see in the Old Testament are those who sinned by reaching for a position that they were not given. We can think of how Miriam spoke against Moses and was afflicted with leprosy. Her speech against Moses reflected an attitude that she was better suited to judge than Moses. And God exposes Miriam's flesh in order to expose her false pride. He exposes her corruption. We see then that a connection between sin and continued uncleanness. And we also see this in Leviticus. We see the same connection in Leviticus chapter 15, which talks about issues from the flesh. And the first issue there is connected with venereal disease and so also connected with sin. And the rest of the chapter deals with other issues from the genitals being connected again to man's productivity. And it's especially in these areas that were deeply affected by death and sin. And all of these things, all of these things that I've, I've gone through represented the creep of death in the life of God's people. When you were born, you were circumcised, symbolizing cutting away of that death and a dedication to God. You were called to be holy, even as as God was holy. Your life was a continual war between the creep of the curse of death and a continual rededication to God in the temple. If you wanted to participate in the religious life of Israel, you had to continually offer sacrifices and cleanse yourself with water. Now, this was not particularly burdensome if you were not a priest, because you only had to be in the temple between one and three times a year. However, it was a continual reminder of the reality of of death 
and your need for the life that comes from God. Now, we do need to understand the grace of this system. Through these washings and these sacrifices, God was establishing a place of life where people could approach God. By giving Israel a way to approach God in his temple and worship him, God was giving Israel a way of life, a life that would be one in the cross of Christ. He was doing that in order to prepare for Christ. But Israel was not able to keep away the uncleanness of death. And this is exemplified in Isaiah's cry in Isaiah 64, that all our righteousness is like filthy rags, unclean, filthy rags. And Isaiah is combining both sin and death here. Sin leads to death, and that was Israel's problem. She kept sinning, and that, that produced death. She lost the holiness that God had given her. She needed someone to reverse the creep of death. Christ is the true Israel who, like Israel, bore death. He bore the weakness and the diseases of the world, but he did it in a new and unique way. And that brings us to our second point, the moment of reversal. We know that Christ bore our sin, but we don't often think of the fact that Christ also bore our weaknesses and infirmities. Those weaknesses and infirmities are connected to the curse of death. Christ took upon himself the effects of death. It's this fact that makes the miracles of Christ that are given in the gospel so important. They demonstrate the great reversal. Sin has brought about death and misery And Christ has now begun the reversal of death and misery. Christ's work is to lift the curse from the earth. We noted already the various death-like illnesses that Christ is dealing with in Matthew 8. The social death of the leper, he's outcast. The death-like state of the paralytic and Peter's mother. Christ is showing that his work is to overcome death. But we should also note Christ's touch here. It's it's especially notable in the case of the leper. Matthew draws attention to Christ's action with the words, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, touching a leper makes you unclean. Especially in the mind of the Pharisees, this was not something a holy man should do. So by the law, Christ, when he touches the leper, becomes unclean. And we can imagine that the leper, knowing that if he touched somebody, they would become unclean, he's standing at a distance from Jesus. And so Jesus has to reach out and touch him. Christ touches the leper and so takes the uncleanness of the leper into himself. Now, this is normal. Any Jew who touched an unclean thing would participate in that thing's uncleanness through touch. 
But something unusual goes on here. Usually the spread of death goes one way, from the unclean thing to the clean thing. And the clean thing needs to deal with its participation in death through another washing. But here we have the great reversal. The leper is healed. He's no longer unclean. Jesus receives uncleanness. The leper receives cleanness and life. Christ carries the death of the leper so that the leper may receive life. That's the great exchange. Christ carries sin and death. We receive life and forgiveness. A little later, Matthew relates the story of of a woman with a flow of blood. She touches Jesus' garment and is made well. And Mark adds this interesting detail. Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. Life goes out from Jesus and to those he heals. And so Jesus fulfills the words of Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Christ is the servant that Israel is hoping for. Here he both fulfills the words of Isaiah and the book of Leviticus. Christ in his body, which will become sin for us on the cross. In that body, Christ is dealing with the problem of creeping death. And instead of creeping death, he gives new life. The law of the clean and the unclean could not give life. Christ gives life, life that overcomes death, and so the curse is lifted. We get an idea here of what what the form for the Lord's Supper means when it says that Christ bore the wrath of God all through his life. All through his life, the work of Christ is done in our place. He suffered for us. He died for us. He shows his love in reversing the effects of death. To do that, he bears death his entire life so that his entire life consists of suffering. We can see this in in the prayers and tears of Christ throughout his life as he seeks to do his Father's will. And this life belongs to you as well if you will embrace God's good gift of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, death continues to work in you if you do not hold to Jesus Christ. It's the fear of death that is behind a lot of our sin. We fear to lose ourselves, and so we frantically search after false pleasures that promise life. When others get in the way of those false pleasures, we lie, cheat, commit adultery, steal, and murder. The leper's condition, the condition of the diseased person, that's our condition as well. And that's where the power of the gospel comes in. Do you ever wonder why Paul refers to the power of the gospel rather than the message of the gospel in Romans 1.17? It's because of this. It's because when we receive the Spirit, we receive life. The one who is justified by faith will live. We join Christ in the reversal of death. That's why I read from 1 Corinthians 4. There we see how Paul sees 
Christ working the truth of the life that comes from Christ. He bears the death of Christ. The death is the body of sin that died on the cross. That's Paul's body of sin. Paul's leprosy. Paul's paralysis and his fever. He bears that death in his body so that Paul may have life in his body. The life that the Spirit is working in him through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's even more going on. Through the death that is at work in Paul, through his labors for the Corinthians, through the sufferings he endures for the sake of the Corinthians' faith, through his prayers and through his tears, he's a means for the life of Christ in the Corinthians as well. And in this way, Paul reflects his Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a spiritual truth, not necessarily a physical one. Paul does do miracles, but he's primarily talking about the life that the Spirit gives, the life we have by having a a living relationship with God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same for us. We don't commonly see miracles like the ones Jesus performed today. And I would imagine that that few of us know somebody who has been healed through a servant of God. The important thing is that is, is, is what these healings of Christ point to. The reversal of the creep of death. We don't need to worry at all about ceremonial uncleanness. We don't need to do anything for spiritual uncleanness except continually come before Jesus Christ and accept with an open hand, with the open hand of faith, the spiritual sacrifice that he has accomplished. Instead, we bear the death of Christ so that the Spirit may work life in us. We sacrifice ourselves so that we may bring life to our neighbor both in the context of the body and in our witness. Now that brings us to our final point. The sting of death is gone. So how is this all possible? How does God's reversal of the creep of death create a place where we receive life? Where we may make that small beginning of overcoming sin? Where we may also bring life to our neighbor? How are we even able to follow Christ in bearing death? It's because the sting of death is gone. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that death no longer has any power. Christ bore his body of sin to the grave. He died. In dying, the body of sin, the body of corruption stayed dead. Now, Christ was no sinner. No, rather, his body bore sin and death, weakness and disease, so that all those things might go to the grave. He was raised as the glorified Christ, and suddenly, death has no power anymore. Now, death, it still exists. We experience it around us. The effects of death still exist. We're well aware of sickness and death, blindness and deafness, and any of the many other problems that represent death to us. 
We must still die, and most of us will have some fear of that moment. But objectively speaking, in Christ, the sting of death, the power of death, no longer has power over us. Rather, we're in the grip of the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. And the Spirit, in turn, assures us that we already have received eternal life. We already share in the joy of the Father. We are already living in the true sense. And so we may practice the true righteousness that comes from sharing in the life of Christ. The Spirit also assures us that we will receive eternal life. That Jesus' acts of healing point to a time when we will be healed not only spiritually, but physically. And that, too, takes away the sting of death. God has raised our Lord Jesus, and that's our hope that we will be raised as well. The sting of death is conquered, and on the final day, death shall be conquered. What does this all mean, then? This is an end to the fear of death. We should not be afraid of what may happen in the future. We have life and a guarantee of future life. That means we can remain confident in our Lord and keep the joy of the Lord in the sufferings that he calls us to. It's that kind of confidence that gives us the ability to prepare well and thoughtfully for what is to come. The man who is full of the fear of death will live in reaction and anger and fear and darkness. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, God repeatedly told the Israelites not to fear as they prepared to attack the Canaanites. They had God on their side. How much more for us who have the life of the Spirit, for us for whom the sting of death has been taken away. We don't need to be afraid of disease or death. These things are hard. We will have our difficulties going through these sufferings, but we know that they pale in comparison to the glory that is stored for us in Jesus Christ. And that means we don't need to be afraid of missing out. People do stupid things, often sinful things, because they believe they will miss out on the joys of marriage or miss out on financial success. We look for our reward in heaven. We don't need to be afraid on missing out on the fun. We have something far more precious. We don't need to be afraid of losing honor or credibility or status. We easily respond to one another with harsh words or worse out of fear that we will not be taken seriously. Rather, we can be happy to speak gentle words to one another. Finally, we don't need to be afraid of sin because sin loses its power when the fear of death loses its power. We're free to do good. All this God has done in Jesus Christ. He bore our illnesses and diseases. He bore death for our sake, and so he reversed the creep of death. He lifted the curse so that we are freed from the sting of death, freed unto a life of joy and communion and righteousness with God. 
All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 68, verses 1, 4, 5, and 6.